Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Before we go to today's message, we want to invite you to check out our website, www.harvestagokc.com. Again, that's harvestagokc.com. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter number five. That's where we're going to be be at today. Uh, If you'd like to stick a marker over in about Luke chapter 23, that'd be fine. We'll get there a little bit later on. This series, Words, has been a fun series for me. Uh, Again, I've enjoyed it. In the last couple of weeks, we've covered some some ground. The first week, we talked about courage and how courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to act in spite of it, um, overcoming it, not putting it away, not saying it, you know, it's it's not really going to happen, but it's choosing to act instead. Uh, last week, we talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a tough subject, amen? We really like to be on the receiving end of that, but being on the giving end of that to others, not so much fun and not so easy to do. We talked about what that means and, and how we're putting others on God's... When we forgive, we're choosing not to try to get the retribution, but we're allowing God to do that in the process, putting them on their on God's hook for, for him to make it righteous. And for God to make everything righteous means that his, his idea of redemption is to make it righteous. That's his idea of justice, you know, to bring everything into right standing. And so we talked about that. And that if we don't forgive, because Jesus is the one that said it. Again, I wish he wouldn't have said it, but he did. He said, if you don't forgive, you cut yourself off from God's part, which is forgiveness. So it's kind of one of those things the Bible says we've got to do. Well, this week we're going to talk about enemies. How many of you have an enemy? Okay, if you don't raise your hand, I mean, I, I don't know what we can do to help you. We, we all have enemies, right? We all have people that mistreat us. Please don't point at your spouse in the process. We, we all have people that, that at times have taken it. How many of you have ever been taken advantage of? Here's a good one. I'm not talking about the car salesman either, okay? Although that may be your experience. I, I've had one of those experiences. Lord, heaven help them. We, we, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about enemies. Let's call it like it is. But as usual, he changed the game when he discussed it, amen? He also said some pretty outlandish and crazy things when he started talking about enemies. Um, it, it, it was, it's just the way he did things. It was just par for the course for Jesus. Jesus just looked at the religious way of doing things, turned it upside down and said, there you go, I'm going to leave this with you now. This is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, these guys got it wrong in the past, and we're going to correct it because it's more about the heart. And so this week's going to be no different as we look at, at enemies and what Jesus had to say about it. Now, let me give you the, a little bit of historical setting for, for this passage of Scripture that we're going to talk about. Now, granted, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, so there's a lot of Jesus' really tough teaching right here. It's kind of like Jesus sat down early in his ministry, taught these people... Um, all of the thousands of people that crowded around him there on that hillside, he sat down and began to teach them. And, and uh, for th- about two, I'm sorry, about 3,000 words in the English, he taught them. Over the course of three chapters of your Bible, he taught them in one sermon. Now, I don't know about you, but if we, um, if, if Pastor Mike or I got up here and sat down and then started to teach, some of you would be like, oh Lord, where's lunch? He's going to be here a while, you know, because um, it probably is going to get a little bit lengthy. 
So Jesus sits down, he begins to teach them, and then he, he gives this great discourse, a wonderful sermon, and from that point forward, did he still teach? Yes, but not so much in that fashion. From that point forward, he went around doing the miracles, proving that he had the authority to say what he said. Have you, have you ever had one of those moments in life where someone told you, hey, you can go do this, but you didn't think they had the authority to say that that was true? Well, one time we went to a, to a football game. OU football game. Not that there's really any other state football games to go to, but whatever. Lord, I apologize. I said I wasn't going to do that anymore this year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brenda. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know, I know. We get to this football game, and, and we had been invited by a friend who has some really nice seats up in one of the suites. And we get there, and, and he just sends us a message. He sent me a text message, hey, meet me at, gate, I think it's gate number 10. Just meet me at gate 10. Oh, okay, I'm kind of familiar with the stadium. been to several ball games. So we get down there, and I'm like, there, there is no gate 10. 9, 12. There's 11. There's, nope. There's an elevator. It's not a gate. Next thing I know, I see him walk out. Hey, you can come in here with me. I, I just saw president of the university go up that elevator. I'm not going in there. No, it's okay. You can come with me. No, like, no way. I, I just saw like former Heisman's get on that elevator. I'm, I'm not, I can't, I don't belong in there. But he had the authority when he handed me the ticket and said, you can come with me. And it wasn't a paper ticket you know, that you fold up and stuffed in your pocket. It was a hard plastic ticket that was a, a special place. And we go upstairs, and there's all of this food spread out everywhere. I'm like, okay. He goes, you can have whatever you want. Sorry, you know, I, we normally eat before we get here. Kind of these. It's free. That looks like really good. You can have whatever you want. I've never been to an OU football game, and they told me that the food was free. Even when we worked concessions, you still had to pay for it. I'm making them money, and I had to pay for the food I was serving everybody else. You know what I'm saying? You, whatever you want, it's free. He, he had the authority to say you could have it and gave me a ticket that proved I had the ability to be there. This is the same thing that Jesus did. He invites us to this unbelievable experience teaches us this new way of thinking that you have this smorgasbord of my blessings and benefits in front of you if you do it my way, as long as you maintain this ticket. So you got the ticket, now live in the blessing. It's just, okay. So you go in, you eat. Then we're sitting there, and like at the beginning of the football games, it's really, really cool because the mascot, like it's right above the student section, and they crowd surf him all the way up the student section and into the president's box. It's just kind of a tradition, right? So here comes this mascot, and we're sitting there, and we're watching, we're like, he's kind of aimed at us. He's being, you know, crowd surfed up the stands, and I'm thinking, boy, if he falls, that's going to hurt really, really bad. Good thing those students are crammed in there more than they're supposed to be, but whatever. So he goes in the window next to us, just like clockwork. Wow, this is amazing. And more stuff starts. You can have whatever you want. You want to change that TV? You want to watch the, the OSU game? You can flip it over there and watch that game. You want to watch the, whatever the, the other game is? You can, do, you can do whatever you want to do inside of all this. Wow. 
Because he had the authority to do that because he already paid the price. Jesus wrote this check and said, here, you can have this, and then proved it as he lived his life. That's what he spent his life doing. So when Jesus is saying all this, he's in the middle of a pretty wild historical setting because the Jews are under occupation. The Romans are now rulers over them. They have occupied their territory. They've brought them under Roman rule. Um, It was not a nice thing. They had a working relationship with the Jewish um, leadership, with the, the high priest, with Caiaphas and and historically all of the high priests in order to help keep them in control. They would allow them certain privileges as occupiers. They would take advantage of them, of course. Um, They would tax them outrageously. Sounds a lot like our government, but whatever. Then they would employ Jews to be tax collectors, which turned brother against brother. It caused lots of issues and infighting among fellow Jews uh, and then those tax collectors, they, they kind of were the, you know, they were the cream of the crop of the really rough people, and they would add tax onto it so that they could make even more money. And so they were thieves, essentially. Sounds a lot like the IRS, but that's a different story. <laughs> the Romans were known for how cruel they could be if you violated their rule of law. And it created a pretty incredible season of racial tension. You had groups of Jews who were for all for the violent exchanges against Romans every chance they could. Now, when I think about it, this sounds a lot like the season that we're living in as a country. It's a tense moment in our own history. We have groups on all racial sides who are for violent exchanges with other groups. We see it every day in the news. You see terrible tragedy that's happening. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. Yet in the midst of this, what Jesus said to his followers then is still just as true for us today. So let's look at our text here in Matthew 5. It'll be on the screens if you'd like to follow along, verses 43 through 48. And it says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We all love that part, right? I mean, that sounds good, doesn't it? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, deal. Sounds like the American way. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do that? But be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here we go again. Here Jesus is. Again, I wished he would have asked me, but he didn't. He didn't ask any of the disciples if they thought this was a good idea. He said this. This is the way it is. So here Jesus steps down. He says, you know what? I want you to love your enemies. We would say, no way. Are you crazy? Do you know what they might do to me? Being cordial with them alone is probably asking too much. Stop and think about maybe that family member that you really don't care for and they always show up at Christmas and as long as they don't talk to you, you guys can get along. It was kind of like when my brother went to college, all of a sudden we became friends because he wasn't there anymore, right? We've all had those. Escalate this up. Let's escalate it way up because he didn't just leave it at that. He said, pray for them. Are you kidding me? That's what I, when we first read that, we're like, you're crazy, Jesus. Uh, oh, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, okay, I'll pray for him. But we want to pray for him like this old country song, right? It's kind of like this. Go ahead, friend. 
I haven't been to church since I don't remember when Things were going great till they fell apart again So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do He said you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn Let the good Lord do his job, and you just pray for them I pray your brakes go out running down a hill I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill And knocks you in the head like I'd like to I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls I pray all your dreams never come true Just know wherever you are, honey I pray for you Now, yeah Now that's funny But far too true for some of us that's our kind of praying. That's where we want to leave it. I'll pray for you. Sure. I've got other things. It was really funny looking for that video and finding um, all of the various comments that people added to their prayers for their person. Well, it's true. I don't exactly think that, that we respond that way. I don't think that's exactly the way Jesus intended, right? I don't think that's exactly it, the way he wanted it to be. So what does it mean to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us? Well, we're going to talk about it. First of all, we're going to talk about praying for those who persecute us. Prayer does something amazing on the inside of us, amen? When you pray for someone, sometimes it's not about them receiving the benefit of your prayer, but it's about God changing us in the process. Wednesday night in service when we were talking about prayer, I gave a whole list of my favorite quotes on prayer, and my absolute favorite is by Leonard Ravenhill, and it says that a sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. My favorite quote on prayer ever. And it's so true. See, when we start praying for those who sin against us, it may not immediately change them, but it will immediately change us. It does something for us, preparing us to, to be able to withstand that, to be able to stand up under the persecution, to be able to stand up underneath the stress and the pressure that comes with being mistreated. Prayer puts us uh, in our mind in the will of God and helps us to submit our will to his life, to what he wants for us. We get this idea that it's my life. We are living his life out for the world to see. When, when Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's he who lives in me in Galatians 2, that's the idea. I'm not the one living this. It's Jesus. And so if I'm going to live the life he wants, I've got to stay connected to the way he wants me to live. Prayer is what Jesus did the night that he was arrested, right? Now we read all through the Bible where it says Jesus would go off to a solitary place and pray. He would get up early in the morning. The disciples would have to go try to find him. But all the time, Jesus was out looking for places to pray. And here, the night that he was arrested, he was praying. Why? He was praying that he had the capacity to do what it was that was required of him. It's easy to know that now when we look back because hindsight's 2020. We understand now that the disciples understood and could write it down. We understand that. 
But on the night that it was in the garden, it was a different story. They didn't get it. So much so that they went to sleep every time he told them to pray. They went over, laid down, said, yeah, we'll pray with you for an hour. Out cold. Sometimes praying in the most difficult seasons of our life is the most difficult prayers we'll offer. I can remember as a, as a young man in, in, in Bible school, we had 6 o'clock prayer. It was a mandatory prayer session every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. If you were um, not there five minutes early, you were late, and you started counting late time for every 15 minutes you were late. You had to come in an hour on your day off and do labor. I didn't show up late. We come in praying. We may not have gotten in bed till two that morning, but we didn't. Get, so you'd be tired. And I can remember one time I looked over and my buddy Micah is kneeling down praying. And there was a two-hour window blocked out for prayer. We didn't have to be back for class until about eight fifteen. I look over and pray, and, and during the prayer time, and I thought he ain't praying. He is sound asleep. So he gets up and he's got this big old red mark right there. So because it was so early, this began became known to us as the prayer mark, that you were sleeping while you were supposed to be praying, and it left that big old mark right there on your head, right? Because sometimes it's difficult. Let's just be honest. It's, sometimes it's hard to pray. But Jesus said we've got to pray. Not just pray for ourselves, but pray for those that persecute us. Pray for them when they do us wrong. Our human nature is to want our pound of flesh when we're taken advantage of, right? Uh, think about this. What do we do? We get done wrong. We pick up the phone call and we call the phone and call customer service, right? We don't really care if they do anything for us. We just want them to listen to us gripe. As long as we can get it off our chest, don't we feel better? And yet Jesus said we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. So in other words, quit trying to exact our own revenge, but instead take it to them. Now, I'm not a fan of being a doormat, and I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about here. He told the disciples to be wise as serpents, the gentle as doves, right? He said, you know what? You need to understand what's going on. And the idea of persecution is that we're going to be persecuted for his namesake. If we're being persecuted because we're making poor decisions, other words I'd like to fit in there, um, stupid might be the better word. We're making stupid decisions and being persecuted for that. Let's not equate that to being persecuted for our faith. But when we're persecuted for our faith, stand up under and receive that as a reward that we are being like Christ. When we're purposefully being targeted for our faith, pray when we're persecuted. Pray for them because they're children of God just like us. They just don't know it yet. That's the hard part because sometimes we want to pray for them that they go straight to you know where. We, we don't want to pray for them to get right. We want to pray for them to get dead fast. Instead, let's pray for them that they might come to know Jesus Pray for them because prayer changes things. Pray for them because the same God who knit us together in our mother's wombs is the same God who can change the hearts of men. So pray when we're persecuted. Pray for them because it's what Jesus did on the cross. Those men who were persecuting him and beating him and crucifying him, he prayed for them while it was on the cross. And we can read in Mark 15, verse 39, where it says that one of them, after he died, after the ground shook, said, surely this was the Son of God. But he prayed for them. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He prayed for them. You never know how your persistent prayer life in the most difficult of situations when you're being persecuted is gonna pay off. You never know. 
When your boss is mistreating you, when you have a family member that you feel like is taking advantage of you at every turn, pray for them because it changes us and then it can change the situation. Prayer changes things. Pray for them. Jesus couldn't just all of a sudden decide that he was going to pray to the Father while he was on the cross because it was a good idea. He prayed for them because that was the pattern of his life. But he made the choice every day, but especially in the garden when he surrendered his will and submitted to God's will. We've got to choose every day that we're going to pray for anyone who mistreats us. When we pray for them, it enables us to be able to love them. So pray for them, but we've got to love our enemies. We all have a basic understanding of what love is and what it means to love someone, amen? We all kind of understand that on a basic level. If I ask you why do you love your spouse, we could all come up with reasons. If I ask you if you why are some reasons you need to pray for your spouse, I'm sure we have a laundry list of those, right? The idea is that we understand what love is and how we can demonstrate that and give that away. Even when it's hard, we understand what it means to love somebody. Now, back when we were in youth ministry, all of our youth sponsors understood a, a very simple term that we would use for those some kids that were a little bit more of a challenge to deal with. We referred to them as EGRs. That simply stood for extra grace required. Right? We, we all know people that require extra grace to deal with, right? We, we all get it. There is extra grace required in some of the process of loving people that we don't want to love. That acronym became widely known among all of our sponsors because we could just say, hey, you need to, you, sorry, but you're going to have little, little um, Johnny in your room this year at camp. He's an EGR. And they went, oh, okay. Okay, I'm going to be prepared. for Because it made it, they came ready. In all of our lives, we have people that are extra grace required. We can easily love those who are good to us. And Jesus said, what credit is that to us? It's easy to do that, but what about the people who don't, the people who are our enemies, the people who have taken advantage? What about those people who are trying to attack our way of life? What about the radical Muslim who wants to blow up every church or wants to see every Christian wiped out because they believe in that form of Sharia law? What about them? The Bible still says that we're supposed to love our enemies. Jesus was literally looking at Jews and saying, hey, you're supposed to love the Romans. The very people that if you just violate their law, they're going to take you and flog you. They're going to whip you. They're going to beat you. They're going to crucify you. They're going to make sure you submit to what their rule of law is. And he's telling them, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Love them. Pray for them. We've got to put that into practice. We can easily love those who make it easy to love. But when somebody's right in our face and they're pushing our buttons, it's a different story. What do we do then? That's when we find out what we're really made of on the inside. You see, when Jesus was squeezed on the cross, love still oozed from who he was. You can make the same case for all of the disciples, from Paul to Stephen to Peter, the rest of the apostles except for John. They were martyred for the name of Jesus, and they oozed love in the midst of it. How? How, when their enemies attacked them, how could they do that? It's because they were full of Jesus and not themselves. Paul said, I have all the reason to boast in the world. I'm smarter than everybody else in the religious circles. And yet, he said, I considered all to be rubbish except for knowing Christ. 
That's the most important thing. That's why he was able in the face of great uh, persecution, in the face of enemies, to be able to demonstrate love. They realized that this world was not their home. They were aliens and strangers merely passing through. They They were eternal beings having a temporal experience, spiritual beings living a natural life, knowing that one day we're gonna get up out of here and we're gonna walk on streets of gold. We're gonna see those who've gone before us. Why? Because this is not our home. We're passing through, baby. We're just passing through. Don't try to hang on to it. Don't get so tight of a grip that we don't realize that for, for, for us to depart from this body is to be present with Christ. It's a beautiful thing. All of the disciples, all of the apostles, like Jesus, made the choice to pray for those who mistreated them so that they could be full of love instead. Choosing, choosing to love your enemies is not easy. It's not. But how does that play out in an everyday practical fashion for you and I? You stop and think about those who would be enemies in your life. No, we're not under constant threat that if you proclaim the name of Jesus, you're going to die for it. Are we seeing a rise of that in our country? Unfortunately, yes. Stand anyway. What about, what, what about when we stand up for what the Bible says about hot-button cultural issues? And because we proclaim truth, now we are labeled as hate speech. Stand up anyway. There's going to come a day, I believe, in our country that if you say anything against the the gay and lesbian community, that there's going to be a chance you're going to pay a very severe price. They're going to try to censor everything that you do. There could be even come the day that proclaiming that from behind a pulpit is going to mean we could end up in jail. We're going to say it anyway. Why? Because it's not my life I'm living, but it's Jesus who lives through me. And as long as the Bible still says it, we're going to proclaim it. Amen? That's that's easy for me to say now. I'm writing a check with my mouth that one day is going to have to clear the bank of my actions. You see what I'm saying? And in the same way, as we applaud that in, right now, that's easy. We're writing a check with our applause. That's right. We're going to stand for the truth. But what about the day that your employer comes to you and says, hey, listen, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you're going to lose your job because we don't put up with hate speech. And we know Christians are on the hate-filled side. We know that Christians are on the side of everything in our country that no longer stands for what we believe in. What are we going to do now? That's when we have to live it out and cash the check that we've written with with our mouths. See, choosing to love our enemies is not easy, but it's choosing to love them as our response, whether we feel it or not, that makes us like Jesus. Because Jesus didn't, he didn't feel the response to love his persecutors when they asked the Father, when he asked the Father to forgive them in Luke 23, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. As they were dividing his clothes, he's praying for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If they understood, they wouldn't do this. And yet he says, I'm praying for them. Forgive them, Jesus. Forgive them, God. Heaven forbid that they have to pay a price because they don't even understand. We understand. We've got to pray, love, and then obey. We've got to obey. Verse 48 in the passage we've read, in the message sums it up really nicely for us, and it says this. It says, in a word, what I'm saying is, Grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. 
Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. I love it. He said, grow up. Grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Have you ever looked at maybe your kids and said, hey, listen, you're an adult. Grow up. Act like you've got some sense. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it would be better said this. How many of you had your parents tell you that? It's time to grow up. You're not a little kid anymore. Oh, heavens yes. We all fit in that category, right? It's time to grow up. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. You know what? Grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Stop living like you're trying to figure out if you're a, a part of this kingdom or the earthly kingdom. Make up your mind that you are my kingdom subjects and you're going to live the way I'm teaching you to live so that you can put it into practice. It's as straightforward as it gets. He's saying stop whining and, compl- and crying and complaining about what goes wrong in our life and start obeying what scripture says regardless. I'm so grateful that this is what Jesus demonstrated for us when he willingly fulfilled his father's will for his life, and he went to the cross. You see, that painful choice of love is what what was executed at the hands of Jewish enemies, the very people who were persecuting all of them, and he chose to go through their torment and their torture and receive their punishment. How many of you have seen The Passion? The movie The Passion. Great movie, right? If you do a little bit of research, just a a little bit of research on what a medical doctor says happens in the crucifixion, you would find, just from reading and allowing your mind to get a little bit vivid, you would find that the passion of the Christ didn't go nearly far enough. Not nearly far enough. Because when it demonstrates the cat of nine tails and the torment that Jesus went through, as the cat of nine tails would come whipping around. There's a part in the movie where it, they, they whip him, and one of them sticks into the, the chair that he's leaned over into that table. And when they pull it back, part of that rips out with it. The reason that they did put that in there is to give the idea of what could happen. Because there are times when they were giving people this kind of punishment that as they did it, literally, a rib would fly out of the human body. When they were done whipping and and going through the the excruciating torment of that cat of nine tails, literally the back would be ripped to shreds and and ribbons of flesh would hang from the lower back all the way down to about the middle of your calf in that process. And blood and bone and everything would just be exposed. And it was at this moment, and, and I know I'm making some of you incredibly uncomfortable, I see it on your faces and I'm doing it on purpose, but please understand, this is only this much of what the doctors say he went through. And he willingly went through it. The, the Romans, man, they were brutal. They understood torment and torture and making it as painful of a process as, as anybody in history has known. They were the best at it. And as they did this at this point where Jesus' back is literally laying open in shreds and blood and bone are there, they took the robe and they put it on his back in the blood and the serum that is now forming and pooling there. And they put it on his back and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they beat that into his head. Why? Because blood and everything was flowing down. Now this, this 
cloth is stuck to his back. Have you ever had a wound on your arm or your leg and now your, your shirt or your jeans get stuck into it, right? And when you take it off, how excruciating that is. Imagine that you have bone and you have muscle and you have nerve endings just exposed all over your back. And now when they go to rip that off of your back, to then lay a cross on the back so that you can carry it up the hill. How excruciating that would have been. Why did Jesus choose to do that? Because there was no other way. He prayed in the garden, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. And yet he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why? So that he could stand on truth and say, I have demonstrated. I told you to love your enemies. I told you to pray for those who were persecuting you. I wrote a check with my, my mouth that I am living with my life and is going to come, uh, come back cleared from the bank on resurrection morning. I know it's uncomfortable. The Romans were experts. But this is what Jesus willingly chose for us, to lay down his life in the hands of his enemies. See, the problem is sometimes we forget that according to Romans 5.8, we were the enemy. Because see, Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Oh, come on, that's better than that. You and I were the enemy. You and I were the ones that as he's going through the torment, he's paying a price knowing that there's a chance that some people of us are not going to receive it. We're going to reject him. And he said, I'm still going to go through it because there's one opportunity. There's one chance that they may come. They may respond. He's going to prove it. He loved his enemies. He prayed for those who persecuted him. He chose you and he chose me to endure that torment. See, in the early church, in their season of torment, as Nero was persecuting them and martyring so many of them, he would bring them into the Colosseum, and at times he would feed them to the lions, and at times he would tie them to the stake and burn them literally at the stake. And history records that as they did that, literally, People would hear them singing, and Nero would stick his fingers in his ears and say, these Christians, why can't they just die? Why must they sing in their torment? And as this happened time and time again, people would leap from the seats in the Colosseum down into the Colosseum floor and run over to where they were being burned at the stake to join in this window of opportunity that was before them. Say, I'm going to stand for what I know to be truth, and if this is the life I'm, that, that I have, I'm going to go for it. And if I enter into eternity right now, I'm going to enter into eternity right now because they made that choice. They were living it out. They were proving it out. You see, Jesus, and I've said this several times, but Jesus wrote a check with his mouth that he proved with his actions and it's going to come cleared, it came cleared on Resurrection Day. And that's why we can celebrate. That's why we're able to pray and love and obey. Because he showed us the way and what he did for us. He did it so that we could have the chance to come to church, not, which is great. But that's not why he did it. He did it so that we could not, not, not just so we could sing our songs and complain because it wasn't my favorite song of the day. He did it to establish a movement on earth, to empower generation after generation, to be Jesus' people in the world, and to continue to advance his kingdom. 
See, he did it so that you and I could make a difference today. He went through that. Yes, does it save us? Yes. But the idea that coming to an altar and praying a prayer, and that's good, and that's the end, and that's the conclusion, is false. That's just the beginning. Then we take what he said and we go give that away so that others can come to know him. Our job is to advance the kingdom, not hold it back, not linger, not say, you know what, one of these days I'll get around to it, but every day, every way to make a difference in someone's life. Look for opportunities to make a daily difference. It doesn't have to be some gigantic thing. Little things along the way make a huge difference when they add up. See, our lives are living testaments of what Jesus did in us. We've got to be Jesus people to live out the Jesus movement in our generation. You see, I'm not willing as a follower of Jesus to sit back and say, I'm going to live a good life and I'm going to call it good. No, no, no. I'm going to get my hands dirty in the mess of this world, helping people get clean and finding Jesus. Amen? You see, one of, the, one of the things that I think really happened in Peter's life, here Peter is, he's out ministering to those, uh, as history records, he's ministering in a prison when he was uh, attacked. So you've got these poor people and you've got people in jail, and he's telling them about Jesus trying to be sneaky and gets caught in the process. Peter wasn't willing to just sit back. Why? Because there was something inside of him that said, I'm going to make a difference. Jesus said to pray, to love, and to obey. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it into practice. Now, you and I don't live much in an area of the world that we have to worry about dying for our faith in Jesus. Literally dying for our faith. But what about our reputation? What about our rights to get even? What about our right to have it all? Have we put all of our rights, have we put all of our reputation have we put all of who we are on the altar and given it to Jesus so that he can live through them? See, I'm all for God's promises. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for how God wants you to be blessed. I'm all for that. But here's what I want us to remember. That Jesus said blessing is having more than enough. That's essentially what being blessed means. You have more than enough. Not that we all get a Russell Westbrook mansion on the hill. I don't have a problem with anyone having a Russell Westbrook mansion on a hill. I don't have a problem with that. If God puts a bazillion dollars in your hands, use it for the kingdom. Here's the thing. What are you doing with what he's already given you? Do we pray for those who mistreat us? Do we, do we love those who we consider to be enemies? we really made the most of what God's put in our lives? Have we even tried? Or do we sit back and go, well, Lord, if you'll let me win the lottery, I'll make a difference. <laughs> Jesus still said, if you give a cup of water in my name, it's the same as giving it to me. See, Jesus said, we've got to, and I want us to remember this in the message. I love the way it says it. We've got to remember that we are kingdom subjects now. Grow up and live like it. Grow up and live like it. Live out the gracious and generous life that he's given us. We're kingdom subjects. Live that way, embracing our God-given identity. But you know what? 
It's not something he expects us to do on our own. Jesus didn't look down at us and say, you know what? Marvin's going to be able to handle that. He can do it. But you know what? Poor Rick, he's never going to figure it out. No, Jesus said, you're going to all be able to do it. Why? Because I'm going to empower you to do what you can't do on your own. I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's going to empower you to be my witness. And when I give you the power, when I give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's going to make a difference in everything you do. It's not just so we can speak in tongues. That's good. But I'm going to empower you to do what you can't do. I'm going to empower you to forgive. I'm going to empower you to love. I'm going to empower you to do what you think there is no earthly way I can do. You're going to forgive people you've never been able to forgive. You're going to love people you never thought you could love. I'm going to put a burden in your heart for the Muslim countries, and you're going to begin to pray that there would be a light shine like never before, that missionaries would go. Amen? Come on, we can applaud that. We're going to begin to pray that God's going to send missionary after missionary after missionary, that more and more and more people will begin to have the dreams that we're seeing and hearing reports of all over the Middle East, that literally they're seeing visions of Jesus right in the middle of it, and they're converting to Christianity by the families, and it's amazing what God is doing. But we've got to see that and begin to pray that in, and begin to pray that over our community, and begin to pray that over our lives. Why? Because we need that. We live in a, in a world that desperately needs Jesus to be shown and demonstrated every day, just like us loving and praying and obeying. And he wants to empower us to do that. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a question very simply. Maybe you're here and you would just say, Travis, and I've lived my life as an enemy of Jesus by the lifestyle of sin-filled living that I, I have participated in daily. And today, I want to come home and be embraced by my Father. I want to turn from that sin, and I want to embrace my Heavenly Father. If that's you, would you slip up a hand right where you're at all over the room? If you're ready to come home, you, you have been an enemy of the cross by the life you've lived. You've allowed sin to separate you from Jesus. Is that you? Anybody at all here today? With, okay. All right, you can put your hands back down. All right. Here's the second question for you. Maybe you're here and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you could actually love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. To obey what God says. He'll empower you. He will give you that dynamic ability to do what you can't do on your own. Man, if that's you and you want that, you want to be filled, would you slip up a hand? All right. Okay. Anybody else? And I believe the infilling is going to be here for everybody that wants to. All right. You can put your hands down. Here's what I'd like us to do all over the room. I'd like for you to stand where you're at. Just makes it a little bit easier for us to respond. So all over the room, if you'd stand, please don't run for the exits. Okay. We're going to be okay. We're early. I know, preacher saying we're early is a miracle, right? It's just proof that you can do this. Here's the thing, folks. I don't ever want to be ashamed of what I need from God, especially in, the, in front of my church family. You know, each and every one of these people around you love you relentlessly, correct? We love you deeply, and we want God's best for you. So in just a second, I'm going to ask our prayer team, prayer partners and the elders of the church to come forward. And they're going to be right here around the front. And if you need prayer for anything, but specifically if you raised your hand 
because you've been the enemy of the cross and you're ready to come home or because you need to be empowered. We want to pray with you. We're not trying to hype this up and make it an over uh, emotional moment. We're just trying to get it to a point to do what the Bible says, to call for the elders of the church and to lay hands on, on you that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective and it can produce healing and bring you home into a right relationship with Jesus. We can believe what the Bible says, amen? So right now, prayer, prayer team, elders, if you guys would come, if you raised your hand for anything, raise my hand because I want to know Jesus or I'm raising my hand, I raise my hand because I want to be empowered. I want to invite you to come. I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to make your way forward. We're going to pray with you and believe God's very best for you. Why? Because we know that God is able, amen? So if you raised your hand, there's no shame. Please hear me. There is absolutely no shame. If you need prayer for anything, make your way down right now. Come on. Is there beginning to move? Come on. You're fine. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Come on. Takes courage. Prayer team, go ahead and begin to minister to them. Do you need prayer for anything? Do you need a miracle in your body? Do you need someone to touch and agree with you like Scripture says? These men and women are prayed up. They're full of Jesus, and they want to pray with you today. Whatever you have need of this morning, don't leave the same as when you came in. You can leave different because you've experienced and encountered the presence of the living God. Come on, all over the room, would you just stretch your hands this way and just begin to agree with our family for God to do what only God can do? Jesus, we bless you today. Come on, lift up your voices and begin to pray. Let's create an atmosphere of prayer. Jesus, this morning we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be put on display. Lord, we pray that you would bring freedom, that you would bring clarity. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be loosed today to do the miraculous that only you are able to do. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would infill and indwell each and every believer that comes and asks for it. Your word says that you have not because you ask not. Well, this morning, Jesus, we're asking. We are believing you for your word's promises that you would fill us with the ability to do what we cannot do on our own. And today we stand on what you've said. And we declare in the name of Jesus that the power of God is going to be put on display in our lives as we love those who are our enemies, as we pray for those who persecute and mistreat us, and as we obey your word when we don't know how. Lord, I pray that you would put your word on display in our lives. Lord, we ask this morning that there would be a dynamic infilling, an overwhelming empowerment this morning would take place in hearts and lives around these altars, Jesus. Jesus, do what only you are able to do, oh God, we pray. Fill us to overflowing with your power. Fill us to overflowing with your spirit, oh God. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Lord, we trust you for it. We trust you for it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, your word is being proven out. Life after life. Do it, oh God, we pray. Let the infilling come, Lord. Let the infilling come in Jesus' name. Fill them to overflow.